This is a moral call right here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Medicare for All podcast, the podcast for everyone who needs health care. My name is Jillian Mason, and my regular co-host, Ben, is on a well-deserved vacation, but I am super excited to have a special guest co-host for today, and I'm going to introduce him in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about what we're talking about today. So just to start off, right, with a word from noted public health expert Lizzo. She's taught us all that thick lives save lives. But for a lot of us, actually, being fat is killing us. And not for the reasons that you might expect. Recent studies have basically shown us two things. A, weight isn't the major driver of health that the medical industry has believed it was for a long time. And B, that when you treat weight like the end-all, be-all of health and healthcare, it actually causes fat folks to avoid seeking care, which leads to some pretty terrible health outcomes. So today we are going to be talking all about fat. We're going to be talking about our healthcare system's impact on fat folks and how misconceptions about fat folks impact our healthcare policy. And our guest for today is, drumroll please, Jordan Berg Powers. He is the executive director at Mass Alliance in Massachusetts. He's helped to elect new progressive leaders across the state, recruited progressive champions to run for political office, and trained hundreds of grassroots organizers. Jordan is active in campaigns for saving public education as well as promoting Medicare for all and a more progressive tax system for the Commonwealth. And he's just pretty fucking dope. And we are really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Jordan. Note to Ben, wherever you are listening to this, if Jordan does a really great (laughs) job, you might be out. Sorry. I'm coming for you, Ben. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So, all right. So before we get into our discussion today, which I know we are both very eager to do, I just want to kind of give a little bit of a disclaimer about language, because you'll note that what we're saying here is fat, right? And not fluffy or curvy or obese. So the reason we do that is because fat is just a descriptor, right? It's like short or tall or red haired. It has negative connotations in our culture right now, but a lot of fat folks, us included, are really working on reclaiming fat as a neutral term, right? A way to just describe our bodies. We don't feel like we should need euphemisms like fluffy or curvy to describe what we look like. And of course, we don't want to use the word obesity because obesity is the idea that fatness itself is a disease, right? And we're going to be pushing back on that throughout this episode. So fat is where it's at. So, okay, Jordan, I want to start with the elephant in the room, and I want to say that (laughs) (laughs) the first person who makes an elephant joke in the comments gets doxxed. (laughs) So we're here, we're a couple of fat people talking about fat healthcare. So I thought we would maybe get started just by talking a little bit about how our lived experience has really shaped our views on this subject. And of course, I want to start out with you. Yeah, uh, thank you again so much for having me. I I just want to say it's a real honor to be here on such an important conversation. So, you know, I think that 
uh, the first thing I always tell people about who I am is that I have been this size since about 13. And I think people are struck, you know, I was 5'10". I grew two more inches <laughs> in <laughs> from 13 to 20. And I was 300 pounds. And I didn't do anything weird. In fact, my parents were obsessed with my weight from basically when I was uh, small. I, we had everything from wow chips to non-fat cheese, which if you have to eat non-fat cheese on a regular basis, I'm sorry for you. You know, we had, I went to Weight Watchers for the first time when I was eight years old. Mm. And so I have had, you know, there's never been a moment in my life where I'm not aware of my size the same way that I'm not, you know, I've been aware that I'm black. Right. There is it is a constant part of the way society sees you, treats you, interacts with you and the way the way people think about your intellect, which is just so strange. But it is they think mm. about they think about your intellect that way. They think about, you know, your cleanliness, your ability to, to work and your ability to be an athlete, which is the other piece to being a big person. I've always been. I've also always you know, I was always a three star athlete. I had award after award. I was the best basketball player. I was one of the best baseball players. I was one of the best football players. I was an award-winning football player. I was athletic. I was fast. I was faster than people half my size. I was always quick. I had a lot of athletics, but people have a hard time believing that, seeing that, be, you know, understanding that as a part. You know, people would, um, in my old uh, places, when I, I would have trophies up from some of my athletic prowess, and they would ask, who's those R's? And they're mine. <laughs> who's are they? I Let's did those. With you. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so I think that that's, there's this weird thing about being a big person that your full self is wrapped into your size as if you aren't a smart person you or can't be, as if you're not also an interesting person or you don't know how to clean yourself or you're not athletic. You can't do athletic things. They just would make assumptions based on why your do they, Why do they think that we're dirty? That's something that comes up a lot. You know, yeah. like fat and smelly seem to be adjectives well, that go together. Comes from the media. You know, the media, like every single thing, every single movie or buddy cop show or some sort of thing has a fat person who's like a magic Negro. They sort of help the real protagonists, the real humans get along in their story. They're a little funny and they always smell, right? They always are uncleanly. You know, they're not they can't have straight lines. They can't have clothes that fit them. You know, so we look down on them. So it's culture. You know, we really under appreciate how much culture drives our understanding of the world. We think, oh, we're smart people. We're immune to it. But we then, we, we are not immune to it. We regard, we sit and swim in this culture. And culture is created by art. Mm -hmm. And it's created and it's sold to us. And that is a part of the thing they sell. And it is weird, right? It's weird. Totally weird. No, it's. <laughs> It's totally I weird. I know plenty I mean, of smelly, skinny people, to be clear. There's no <laughs> between, between uh -huh. size and, and whether or not they smell. That's a true statement in the world. <laughs> you were like, I love it because you were like the poster child for like the fact that, you know, fat people are not necessarily lazy. I, I am actually the poster child for the fact that fat people can be lazy. And you know what? Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, right. People I mean, uh, regardless, though, like you, I have always been big. And, you know, once I graduated college, I gained quite a bit of weight and uh, crossed over into the threshold where people no longer called me chubby. They called me fat. Mm. Oh, yes, I remember that. 
Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I've been living as a fat person for quite a while as well. And it started to really, really get to me how it was affecting my health care. That was the thing that really, really got to me because I, I can deal with people not thinking I'm attractive. I can even deal with a certain amount of fat shaming. But the fact is that I would like to be treated as a human being when I go to the doctor. And I just, yes. I realized that just wasn't happening. And in a couple of different ways, right? Like the first way, and I know we talked about this before, is that the first thing any doctor will say to you, what, what were you saying that you could predict the first thing that any doctor will say to you? Yeah, have you thought about losing some weight? <laughs> Never crossed my mind, you're the first one here to say that to me. Thank that you for saying that. Fascinating idea. Yeah, thanks for introducing that. <laughs> Nothing in our culture says that. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's that. There's most doctors will refuse to treat me before they've seen a diabetes test. I've oh, never yeah. had bad blood sugar in my life. I'm actually, I've got better cholesterol than my very skinny partner. And, yep. um, you know, but at the same time, they, they will literally refuse to do any other diagnostic work until they've gotten that test result. And then the final thing is that this crazy thing happened to me that I am just like, Still, my mind is blown by the fact that this happened and that I accepted it, but I got an IUD at one point and from the start, it was painful. I was bleeding all the time. It was terrible, right? It was just a really bad experience. And I started going to the doctor for it about six months after it was uh, after they installed it. And they, they just kept telling me to lose weight, right? You're too fat and you're too stressed. And I was like, well, I mean. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so basically for years though, I kept on going back with the same problem. I was in so much pain and I was bleeding and it took about eight years for them to finally do ultrasound that confirmed that the IUD had actually been inserted incorrectly. So for eight years, I bled almost every day, was in constant pain and I accepted what they said to me, right? Like I totally, I accepted, okay, maybe I don't deserve to not be in pain, right? Until I lose some weight. And that's just super fucked up in so many ways. And it's one of the things that really drove my passion to get involved with healthcare. And I'm sure uh, you've had some similar experiences. Yeah, although um, I have heard this story before and it's still shocking. Like I just want to sit in the shocking awfulness that that's how you were treated um, with something that's really serious and, and really tough and it's it's tough to hear a second time it'll be tough to hear anytime and i hope i hope we don't live in a society where we gloss over for even a millisecond the amount of pain and and how much how much that affects you as a human to yeah. not be seen not be heard and to be told that your pain is your fault right yeah. like, that's a yeah. real it's a really troubling thing so i just want to set that um i have i Luckily for me, a lot of my fat phobia has been twinged with um, racism, so it's easier to identify as ridiculous. An easy example of this is uh, one, I, I had a doctor say to me at an annual exam that I could probably lose some weight if I stopped eating fried food, which was an allusion to the fact that I eat fried chicken. And anybody who knows me, I've been a vegetarian. <laughs> I've been a vegetarian since I was 13. I'm vegetarian for... Um, 27 years, and I don't eat fried food really at all. And if he had spent two minutes talking to me, he would have found that if he asked me, and he, like before making assumptions, just asked me what I ate, I could have easily told him any number of these things. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but that's not, you know, that's not the reaction you get. You just immediately get every healthcare. I have 
more diabetes tests. I know my blood sugar level as if I'm diabetic because of all the blood work I get done on it every year. And every year they say the same thing to me. Wow, you have really low cholesterol. Yeah, I don't eat anything that has cholesterol in it. I don't know why that's shocking. If you, again, talk to me, you would know that from my diet. You know, what I eat is clear. And so I get the same things and they never, that's always the first thing they look for is they look for, are you, what's the fat doing to your body? Not, you've been this size for 27 years and now this other thing has popped up maybe it's not related to this thing but it is you know it is it is wild it's i think it's hard for people who don't intersect with the um healthcare system um not as a fat person to understand that there is no other diagnosis you get yeah. there is not there is no uh, you have no other possible health outcomes i hurt my knee running <laughs> and their reaction, I literally was told by the doctor to lose 10 pounds. Imagine finding out that you got the secret, somebody hurt themselves exercising and mm. your diagnosis back to them is to not to treat the pain, but to tell them to lose weight. The thing I said back to the doctor in that moment is I say the same thing, which is, well, what do I do when I gain it back? What's the diagnosis yeah. then? And another thing that uh, doctors love to say, this is the number one thing. After they say, have you thought about losing some weight? And I always have the same reaction, which is, oh my God, you're the first person to have ever said that to me. Thank you for saying it. Mm -hmm. And they look at me like, oh, thank you. Like, yes, that's an obnoxious thing to say to a human, especially a fat person, because literally every food that goes in my body is an experiment and a, a social experiment and acceptance, right? Like just mm -hmm. putting food in your mouth into your body as a fat person is, a, is its own sort of political A, cultural problem because people make assumptions immediately. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, as if, as if that's not my reality, but you're the first to notice I'm big. <laughs> so whenever I say that, they always say, well, you know, you'll have better outcomes if, you, if you'd lose some weight. The thing I like to say to every single person is I'd also have better outcomes if I were white. Should I change that? Should I be white? Also better health outcomes. Like it's just yeah. a ridiculous, I have been, I have been fat almost as long as I've been black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. treat this person. I mean, it's, it's funny because now that you got me thinking, right? Because like, you know, you'd also have better health outcomes if you were rich, right? So why do they <laughs> never tell you to like make a few million bucks, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> Right? I mean, I am black. That would be probably too far for them to stretch. You don't play basketball. How would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so the way people imagine us is fucked. All right. So we've had some really bad experiences here. But the question is, why does this matter, right? A bunch of fatties crying yeah. over their health care, right? <laughs> why, why, why should anyone give a shit? I mean, there's, you know, I think the important thing to note is that when it comes to health care, how the least of us is treated, it's end up being how everyone is treated. So every every woman that I've been lucky enough to be in community with has the same story about the healthcare system. My pain wasn't believed. My thing wasn't believed. Black people don't go to the doctors because mm -hmm. of the racism we face when we see the doctors. So black men have bad outcomes. So the way in which our society doesn't treat people as people becomes replicated and fat people are the are the last bastion of acceptable hatred. I can no longer go to the doctor and be told like I would have been in the 60s that my brain is just smaller, the mm. way the medical profession believed. 
you can't go and tell women to just stop being so womenly, right? Like you can't, like they will treat you like that, but they can't say it like that, but they mm -hmm. can straight up tell you that it's your fault for being fat, even though the science is the same about my likelihood to no longer be black. Yes, <laughs> right? like, yes, yes. You know, even though the science is clear, they can still go through these motions of telling us and treating us differently and giving us different outcomes and not treating us, frankly, right? Not giving us the procedures. And so that goes into, you know, it goes into a lot of the, it goes into like how other people are treated. But for us, for fat people, because so many Americans are in fact fat, we have worse outcomes. You know, the stress from the way we get treated means that we are being suffered. We suffer bad outcomes. We don't have our underlining conditions treated. So the reasons that we might be in pain, like you might be bleeding every day, that's not treated. That could have been life-threatening, right? And it is for many fat people. Many fat people die from being fat, but not because of the fat, but because the healthcare system doesn't see their cancer, doesn't see their disease. It just tries to treat the fatness. And so that's part of the problem with the just lose weight is that it doesn't get at why am I here? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we're rarely there because we're fat. We're mostly there because something is going wrong in our bodies and we can feel it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I just want to circle back to something that you mentioned, though, which is that like the statistics of you being less fat are like similar to the statistics of you being less black at any point in your life. I yep. mean, this is something that study after study has shown, right, that we can see that it is actually not nearly as possible as people think to reduce your body size in any kind of sustainable or permanent way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think people, unless you go through some sort of surgery, and even then that's fraught with all sorts of bad outcomes. Any, a recent study, something like 97% of all people who lose weight gain it back. They're, the success rate is so low. And the stat that really, I will say really shocked me, I recently learned that half of all Americans, half, half of all Americans are currently trying to lose weight. Half of all Americans are currently trying to lose weight. That makes me so sad. I just want to cry. <laughs> if you think about nothing else are we doing where people are trying something and it's not working, are they still like not after finding what else is going on? They're just like, well, you're failing. There's a lot of smart people in that group. There's a lot of people who are motivated. There's a lot of things, right? And then nobody looks back at all of the mountain of evidence over and over and over again, which shows that people are the size that they are because that's where their bodies are leaving them. And there might be things happening that you should look at, but you should treat it like that. You should think about what is happening to the person that's in front of you as a person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if they have pain, listen to what they're saying and treat that. Find out what's happening there. If I come to you after saying I'm running and I hurt my knee, treat the knee pain. <laughs> Don't tell me to lose weight. <laughs> That's the thing you need to treat in that moment. <laughs> it's important to clarify that that's what we're saying, right? Yeah. We're not saying that doctors shouldn't see, they should be weight blind. <laughs> we're not saying no. they shouldn't see weight, right? We're saying that maybe that shouldn't be the first thing and the only thing that you try when you're actually seeing fat people. <sighs> frustrating, frustrating. This is, I think, uh, highlights another thing because there's a TV show that celebrates this. Dramatic weight loss. 
and dramatic weight gains are signs of a lack of health. So if yes. you are a size and you blow and you just get much bigger, that is something that you should talk to a doctor about. If you've been this way since you were 13 and you're broad shouldered and wide hipped, probably the way you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you lose dramatic weight, even if you do it in the service of a bad TV show, that's bad for your health. That is bad outcome that stresses your heart. It stresses your body out. It causes bad outcomes and likelihood to die sooner than if you hadn't lost that weight. I mean, in addition to that, right, you're also like more, much more likely to develop disordered eating patterns that are going to keep you cycling your weight for the rest of your life. Right. If you don't gain it back, which most of them do, because mm -hmm. our bodies, it's more complex than that. And it's not a quick fix. So much so that the CDC has recently said that the focus on calories in, calories out is actually damaging to people. And so science is saying loudly <laughs> one thing, but our for-profit medical system and our diet industry and our and our other industries are telling us a different story. And it's, yeah. it, there's a reason for that incongruence. <laughs> yeah. And so let's get into that, right? Like, what are the reasons? So we know a, a lot of people, right, are going to hear this data and they're actually just going to refuse to believe it because it yeah. flies completely in the face of everything that they've been taught from the time that they were eight years old and had to go to that first Weight Watchers meeting, which fucking breaks my heart. So here's the question, right? How did we get to the point where so many of these misconceptions about weight and health have become so ingrained in our culture? And I think it has to start first with like talking a lot about how it's related to racism and classism. Yes. So just again, really quickly, the BMI, you know, the standard of BMI gets its grounding, its beginnings in slavery and sort of categorizing black bodies to sell. And so that's its origins. You know, it has its regrain through the eugenics movement, right? So it's getting back through. It has some really ugly histories around mm -hmm. sort of things. But the one thing it doesn't do is actually measure body, people's people's health. And I think that that's the important thing is that every study shows that it's it's a really poor study of people's health. There are lots of people who have low BMIs who aren't so-called fit. They can't, yeah. you know, they're not active. They're not doing things. And there are plenty of large bodies who are fit, who do have other health outcomes. And so there's no study that says BMI is going to tell you how long you're going to live or how healthy you are, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's grounding and it's, it's not just a bad his history. Like it isn't just a bad history. It's also a really bad gauge of health, as mm -hmm. again, every scientific study shows. So the question then is like, why do they get so put into each, why are they so close to each other? And for me, the question again is money. It's about the ability to make money off of people. People at some point realize some of the early diet fads are actually in the 1880s, 1890s, right? New York Times is putting them on the front mm -hmm. page. They're talking about it. I think Atkins first, the, uh, the diet around it first comes around in the early 1900s. It, it gets rebirthed, repackaged, re-put in. And, you know, these things have been around for a while, but they always have the same story, which is telling you that you're unhealthy for your size and it's your fault mm -hmm. is a way to make money and a way to bifurcate people, a way to divide people and a way to tell people some people are worthy and some people aren't. And every mm -hmm. time you can do that, you make money, you get you get power, you have the ability to hold on to things. You know, there's a lot of benefit to people in power and people with money to telling people that they're not worthy and you should judge those people. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it's not just like the the wild 
diet industry, right? That's part of the issue here, right? This has been built into medical school curriculums. A lot of these misconceptions have been built into the kind of nutritional advice that we get from the time that we're children. You know, it's really just become completely ingrained in our medical system. So it's not just like the fad diets that are making money off of this. It's your doctor who performs the bariatric surgery, right? It's the uh, company that sells the pill they're going to give you to try and make you smaller, you know? I I went to a new doctor and um, she told me to lose some weight. And uh, <laughs> she said, and then I said, okay, like whatever. And then she said, why don't you go to the nutritionist? And I was like, oh, this will be fun. I was like, yes, sign me up. I have time to Let go me, to the wait, wait, hold on a second. Let me just interject and say, if you look at Jordan's meals on Instagram, you would know <laughs> that this man is eating healthy. Yes. There's some yes. quinoa up there. There's yes. some other shit, you know, like, but anyway, so you yeah. go to the yes. situation. So we, we're mostly vegan and I drink water and coffee with no additives. Like I am boring. And so I would, but I was like, this will be interesting. This will be fun. So I went to the thing and you know, the nutritionist, the doctor prescribed nutritionist, the only thing that they were prescribing as a, as a fix for this thing was bariatric surgery and the most expensive kind that would make them the most fun immediately mm. right like mm. i didn't go from like you should lose some weight why don't you try exercise or we have a program like nothing like that right like nothing it was immediate it wasn't like let's find out what you're eating and maybe you could do a little bit better it was like surgery Imme- like that was the first meeting when i got the referral from my doctor to the nutritionist it was bariatric surgery right Step immediately one, the most cut expensive. you open like right. come on you're a nutritionist <laughs> god damn it but it was and it was a group of, <laughs> and it was a group of people it was it was a group of people and they're all fat people and we were on a zoom and so i started messaging people because i was only there for the shits and giggles i wasn't there to take it seriously and i wanted to talk to the people who were there because they are literally telling us in this meeting to drink less soda to think about what we're putting in our bodies and i'm like there is not a fat person I've ever met who isn't obsessed with what it looks like, what we're eating. It's just constantly told to us that we should be, we can't eat in front, in front of other people because mm-hmm. there's judgments. Mm-hmm. And so I started messaging people like, is, have you ever been told not to drink soda? And like the person's laughing and I'm like, I'm sorry you're dealing with this. And you know, have, have other concerns. And you know, I'm just in the messages, like private messaging people on the thing saying like, hey, is this infuriating you? Like it's infuriating me. And everybody was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. You know, some people were there for the surgery, but they were like, I wish this was helpful. I wish this answered my questions about it. I have real concerns, right? My doctors, I'm sure telling them to do it. So these people came because they are, they are fat people looking for answers for their medical problems. And they're getting told like, don't drink soda and exercise more as if again, it's the first time anybody had ever said these things to them and not anything particular about their concerns, their real lived experiences as being fat Mm. people. Mm. Um, And I don't want to judge their decisions. Bariatric surgery may be the right decision for those people, but they all every, no one said to me, I'm glad I'm here. I'm learning a lot, <laughs> and I'm ready for surgery. Everybody was like, I have real questions, and this is bullshit. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, the, the surgery has become a, a very popular product um, that, yeah. we, that is marketed to us consistently. Uh, there's a woman named uh, Lisa Erlinger, and um, she is a family physician and a professor and uh, in Washington, and uh, she does a really good job of kind of articulating some of these things, but 
but she pointed out that, you know, as this is a quote from her, as a medical community, we've accepted much poorer evidence for weight loss surgery and weight loss drugs than we would for anything else. The reason we accept that is partly because we have been slowly conditioned to accept more and more outrageous quote unquote science from this industry and because we're predisposed to believe it because of the diet culture we live in. So we see that constant cycle of that kind of uh, constant like reinforcement of this idea over and over again. And the bariatric surgery is such a good example of that because there are some tremendously negative outcomes that are very common with that surgery. And yet, you know, you're being funneled into a fucking, it's, it's almost like uh, trying to sell you a timeshare or whatever. Uh, yes. You went yes. into a nutritionist. Again, right? Like it's not, you know, I, I want to be careful and say that people have medical concerns. I mean, medical needs and that surgery may be right for them, but I was not there for that. I was told I was going to a nutritionist because I needed to lose 10 pounds. Right. And next thing you know, they're funneling me into this bariatric surgery. And that's wild. That's yes. a wild that's a wild thing to say to somebody, lose 10 pounds, major surgery that could kill you. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. No, it's totally true. And you think about like um, other areas where people desperately want or need surgery, right? Trans folks who need gender affirming care, you know, women who need hysterectomies and stuff like that. It, in order, and women who need abortions, right? In order to access any of those things, you have to basically see seven psychiatrists who will confirm <laughs> that you're not crazy first before <laughs> you can actually, because we say surgery is a very serious thing, right? Right. <laughs> Unless you're fat, in which case you should just watch a commercial on TV and sign up for surgery because there's nothing worse than being fat. Yep. And so I want to quote one of the articles that you found that I just absolutely love. It's Dr. Dory Steinberg. It's from an article where she quote, I designed programs to help people lose weight. Everything that I thought I knew was wrong. And, you know, one of the quotes from it that I just absolutely love, after many attempts to design an effective weight loss program, I realized that the, de the data from studies I worked on never succeeded in showing that weight could be modified long term. And it wasn't just in my own research. The broader scientific literature showed similar results. In one prominent national study, only 10 to 20% of study participants maintained weight loss after one year, even lower, even lower rates years later. And just to be clear, that means that that's where you get about only 3% succeeded long-term mm -hmm. in the weight loss. She goes on to say the healthcare industry has put too large an emphasis on the relationship between weight and health rather than investigating other factors for conditions like chronic pain and diabetes. And many clinicians will almost instinctively turn first to weight loss and suggest that weight loss is the answer. This type of weight uh, bias has increased over the past decade. So I just think it's important because that is a person whose job it was to be a nutritionist for, you know, she was a, na a national person saying, that what we're telling you is happening <laughs> is like what she did, right? She's telling you this is what we did, and it's not—it's not real. It's a—it's a—it's a fantasy, yeah, and it's a yeah. painful fantasy for the people who, for fat people who buy into it, who leave it, mm. who are who can't love themselves the way they are, and it's dangerous because again, we're not getting the care we need when we need it for the things that are going on in our bodies, yeah, um, and we're mm. not trusted. We're not trusted to we're not trusted when we say things are problems we're not trusted to be advocates on our behalf to say that i can feel what's happening in my body 
right? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and believed and you treat it. They're just like, oh, well, it's just fat. Imagine no, no, that. it's totally. And obviously, again, this is connected back to issues of race and also of class, right? Um, if you go to the CDC's page um, about their in, their info on quote unquote obesity, they will tell you that, you know, the obesity prevalence was, and I'm putting all this in quotes, 41.9% by March 2020, right? So that means that nearly half the People in this country have this quote unquote disease called obesity, right? And when they break down their statistics further, they break them down by race and education, right? So, sorry, Jordan, non Hispanic Black adults have the highest age adjusted prevalence of obesity, followed by Hispanic adults and non Hispanic white adults, right? And then finally, men and women with college degrees had lower obesity prevalence compared to those with less education. Now, there are no accidents there, right? The reason that fat people, they feel like we're easy to ignore is because a lot of us are black or brown or haven't had education, you know? And what is lack yep. of education in this country except a code for poor, right? Yeah, and they and they intersect perfectly for a reason, right? There's not it's not an accident that these that the sort of birth of these things comes from slavery, comes from a lack of, you know, hatred and, and they're always peddled to people who are struggling, who are looking for quick who are who are trying to find hope and futures. And so, yeah, there's there's a sort of, you know, there's always, not to mention the sort of, you know, without getting into like food deserts and lack of healthy foods or the way in which they peddled sugar for years. Like there's all these things that are going on. The fact that, you know, the other pieces we could talk about endlessly are how much people work, right? And like how much work puts stresses on our bodies. Mm. That never gets talked about. No one ever says, <laughs> you know, no one ever says you should work less. You know, like part of the, I always joke, like you want to know why the Rockefellers are skinny. They don't have to do anything. They don't like they can't. You know, they're not working hard yeah. for a living. You know, there's a reason that there's a corollary between enslaved persons and and, and size. You know, besides the the like modern, you know, besides the like large eugenics movement to make sure I could um, carry heavy things for white people for free, um, mm. and my ancestors of that. Besides that, there's like trauma. There's pieces. There's food that were available to us. Right. There's all of these pieces are intermixing, yeah. and there's never a, there's never like we should look into providing people healthier, less stressful lives, um, <laughs> making sure that they can have, that they have roofs over their head and healthy food available to them. It's always, it's your fault. Yeah, <laughs> You're yeah. the responsible for this problem. And it's, yeah. and it's, it mirrors the other things, the other ills in our society, which is to blame the people rather than to dig deeper into what is going on with people mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how are we failing them how are we not supporting them how are we not seeing people again for their whole for their whole complexities right yeah, it's just yeah. you 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 you're at fault yeah now, I was just going to say that that gets us into a kind of larger question. One of the reasons that I got most uh, really interested in this and my work at Healthcare Now is because so frequently, one of the things that I hear from opponents of healthcare justice and opponents of Medicare for all is that the reason that the U.S. that other countries can have Medicare for all type system, right, and the U.S. can't is because we're all too damn fat and. I mean, that's something we hear over and over again, right? You, people in the U.S. are impossible to insure, impossible to provide health care for because we're so fat and obviously it's our fault. And so we've sort of become the boogeyman of American health care policy. And I'm really interested in just like how that happened and when did we become the burden on society? <laughs> 
I mean, the funny thing about that, just really quick, is that the happiest place on earth, Denmark, about half of all of its population is obese. And it has free just about everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yep. factually true, just to be clear, just for people <laughs> who are saying something like that. But I have also heard that. It's important to note that what science is telling us is clear is we need to treat fat people like we treat well, I don't want to treat fat people like we treat black people, but in theory, we should treat fat people like with the understanding that there's a weight neutral, that like your weight may be an indication of something, but it's likely not. It's likely just that you live, you live, and we need to be treated with the things that we're going to the doctor because in America, no one's going to the doctor unless something has gone wrong because none of us can afford it. Oh, and yeah. so- if people are going to, what we're asking for is, is to hear what we're saying, treat those things, <laughs> and go through the process of, uh, right, the weight neutral healthcare. I think you could you could talk, I think, a little bit better to it than I can. But I, I just think that's ultimately what we're asking for. Yeah, no, I think that that's absolutely right. And I, I think that one thing to, you know, to consider here that's, that's really important that I know you have some really strong feelings about, and it'll surprise you, but I am also very much in favor of this, is that Medicare for All would actually be an awesome way. And that's why the podcast is called Medicare for All. No, uh, <laughs> Medicare for All would be an awesome way of actually starting towards a world, right? Where we actually have this kind of weight neutral healthcare. Yeah, because most people don't think about it this way, but you know, there's no medical, there's very few sort of universal standards. It's a lot of, a lot of the standards, a lot of the ways in which doctors are trained or doctors get updated once they're already doctors. It's actually through the for-profit system. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's the hospitals, it's the insurance, pushing updates, pushing new ideas, right? It's through the for-profit um, eye that they are constantly being updated and told and being and, and how you know how they can treat us the fact that they get less time with us those are all those are all insurance mandated cyst problems these are all problems created by right like part of the reason my doctor doesn't have time to find out what i eat is that the insurance won't pay for that time mm -hmm, right and so mm -hmm. all parts of the failure are about the fact that we have a for-profit system. The reason that when I walk into a doctor's office, they see money before a person is because of our for-profit system. They're not seeing Jordan. They're mm -hmm. seeing a person who statistically is likely to cost them money because maybe I don't have health insurance or I don't have good health insurance. They're seeing a person who's deaf, who's like, regardless of anything I tell them, who's going to have worse outcomes, who eats poorly, <laughs> who doesn't do anything. And so I'm going to treat, I'm going to cost them money, right? And the insurance get cost. And so they're, they're making cost effective, they're making cost decisions. When I walk into a room, when I walk into a place about how to treat me. They're not treating me like I could pay for anything that they offer. They're not treating me like I have the support systems or resources to manage whatever care I need, like a, a widget that they mm -hmm. need to assess my ability to pay them money for the care that I need. And that's yep. true of every single person in the system. When women walk in, they're treating it the same way. You know, they're treating you like you get 70 cents on every dollar. <laughs> and, and your healthcare decisions are yours up until like men are involved and whether regardless of your personal situation or personal preferences, right? Like it's just immediately patriarchal, right? All of these systems, but it's about money. It's about who can sue them, who can pay for it, 
who can, you know, who can pay for their care, all of those things are things. And so healthcare for all fixes a lot of these problems. It's not going to fix everything. America has racism to its core. It's embedded in our institutions. It will be embedded in, in Medicare for all if, you know, when we get it, we will still have to battle racism. But it does a lot to fight these problems. Because if yes. my doctor cares, can start to see me as a person, all of a sudden, all of these isms, all these things start to fall away and they have the time to know me. I'm going to go to the doctor more because I know that I don't have to worry about, can I afford it? I'm going to go because I need it because something's happened. Or maybe because I want to prevent something for God. Oh, crazy. Maybe I, mean, I want to prevent, shocking. sorry, <laughs> trying to get the word out of that word out crazy, but um, you know, it's bonkers, right? Like maybe, oh, I want to get them preventive. So Medicare for all, fixes a lot of the ways in which we're forced to interact with the system. And it can force science back into how we get treated in the medical profession because science is detached from current health, from the way that doctors are trained. They're trained, they're not like, there's not, the reason that every doctor talks to us this way isn't because they're all individually bad people, right? They get trained, (laughs) we all get, it doesn't, I have had, Black doctors, I've had young doctors, old doctors, I've had women, I've had men, I've had different nationalities. The reason they all do the same thing is that that is the training. They are trained when you walk in the door and they see your weight to say, have you thought about, right? Like, have you thought about losing weight? That's not, they're not making that up on the fly. That is, they're trained. They're told that's what you got to say to that person. I mean, if one doctor says that to you, you're like, huh, that's an anomaly. But if literally every doctor you ever see for your entire life says that to you, you're like, they're learning this somewhere. Is it the parents? Are the parents to blame? (laughs) It is the parents. It's our institutional parents. (laughs) And so really what we're saying is science needs to go back into the way in which we treat fat people. The same way that we needed science to say clearly that black people aren't inferior because there was a time science believed differently. And there was a, we need science to take seriously that women's reproductive healthcare and women's, sorry, women's healthcare generally is different than men's. And you need to actually study women. <laughs> so that we can treat Novel. women. And then we need to figure out how we're intersecting the more interesting things with people who don't fit neatly into individual, into sort of modern gender understanding, right? Uh, not modern, uh, past you know, sort of no longer modern gender understandings. We need to do a better job of studying that, understanding that. And like, but that's made possible if we have one system paying people and then people can then go to their doctor and get that individualized care. Because that's really what we're saying is don't treat a black person, a black man, Treat Jordan. What is what is Jordan's healthcare needs? And that's really the thing we're asking for. Ask a few damn questions. Yes, (laughs) I'm the time to ask some questions. Yeah, (laughs) no, I I think that's like that's such a great point, and I just I want to underline that because so many conversations about fat phobia and fat shaming in our society, like basically just evolve into like let's be nicer to fat people. (laughs) Let's all learn to love ourselves, like. Fuck you. We love ourselves enough. Now let's create a healthcare system that loves us too. You know? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Amen. Amen. All right. That is awesome. Listen, I think uh, I think that we're over time, so I'm definitely going to wrap up now. But I want to thank you so much for being here, Jordan. This has been such a good conversation. And yes, you are you. so great on not just this, but every issue. So I love it. Thanks for having me.
Awesome. Uh, we'll have you again in the future for sure. And so, yeah, uh, you really gave Ben a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to definitely thank our podcast team. Angelique Davis is our podcast manager. Christian Brandt is our sound editor. And Jerry Katz writes our show notes. So definitely check them out. Remember to like and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast and uh, listen to us again. All right, everybody, stay safe and stay dangerous. Mm -hmm.